All right, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. OCD Straight Talk with Chris Lines, licensed psychotherapist and anxiety disorders and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist, reaching out to you from the greatest city in the world, Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the micro brew. So guys, you may recall that this is a podcast and is only a podcast, and it really cannot stand in the place of uh, psychotherapy, uh, in the place of um, evidence-based uh, interventions, uh, and certainly not in the place of your uh, medical advice. Uh, so during this podcast, we're going to talk about um, habituation, uh, a scientifically identified process wherein or whereby we become uh, less uh, acutely aware uh, of stimuli to which we are repeatedly uh, exposed. Okay, so pretty common examples uh, of habituation might be something like, you know, in the month of, of May, uh, if you're in, um, I guess it would be the Northern Hemisphere, um, if you're in the in month of May and we hop into a swimming pool, perhaps the the water is a little chilly or uh, or or cool, and it feels uncomfortably so. Um, and, and over the course of of a minute or so of being in the really cold water, uh, or two minutes, uh, or, or or three or four minutes, we we begin to really notice that the water uh, becomes slowly less cold to us. Uh, again, over the course of time, uh, what we what we know is that the water didn't necessarily change temperature, but somehow our own bodies adjusted to the temperature and our brains adjusted such that we no longer feel cold in the water. Now, that process is, again, a scientifically identifiable process, a very common uh, neurologic process that we call habituation. The same uh, thing takes place when we go into, let's say, an Italian restaurant. And, you know, we walk into the door and we're in kind of the, the opening of the restaurant and, and we smell all the smells and, and, uh, you know, you smell the cheese and, and the, and the sauces and the Alfredo sauce and the tomato sauce and, you know, the different meats cooking and the fresh bread coming out and all the smells that come with the Italian restaurant. But, you know, over the course again of, of, you know, a minute of being inside the restaurant or, or a couple of minutes of being inside the restaurant, or maybe you've been at your table for a, for a few minutes and, and you begin to notice over the course of of those minutes that the smells that were initially so acute to, <clears throat> to you become a little bit less uh, acute, you know, they, they become a, a little bit less accessible uh, over the course of those minutes. And, and the air that you're breathing, if I can kind of put it this way, it just begins to smell little by little more and more like just regular air. Uh, that process, again, um, is, is called habituation. We find the same process takes place uh, emotionally speaking. Uh, we find that process occurring in the treatment of anxiety and, and clinically significant anxiety, that things to which we are exposed that, uh, that have the tendency to elicit within us uh, an anxious reaction uh, or intrusive thoughts that, <clears throat> that cause anxiety for us over the course of time of being consistently exposed to these situations, uh, these objects, uh, et cetera, uh, they have a decreased ability to cause us anxiety, or to put that differently, the acuteness or the acuity of our anxiety in relationship to those situations, objects, begins to decline just like our smell in the Italian restaurant uh, and our feeling of cold in the pool. 
right? It just starts to go away little by little. Now, in the case of, of anxiety disorders and and the treatment of, of, of clinically significant anxiety, that process does take a little bit longer, uh, I'm sad to say, than a minute or two uh, or three or four. We're looking at the research, you know, pretty clearly shows uh, something like a 45 to 60 minute block of time uh, for that habituation process to really take its effect and run its course. Now, there's one very, very important proviso here uh, when we're talking about habituation uh, in relationship to anxiety-producing situations. And that one very, very important proviso is the stopping, uh, the, the prevention of all safety behaviors, uh, or we might call in OCD words or language, compulsions. Uh, that's really, really important. Without that, uh, having done you know, many, many tens of thousands of these exposures, I can tell you, you're not going to habituate, meaning your anxiety is not going to fall in relationship to that uh, that anxiety-producing situation, that object, etc., without the uh, specific and consistent prevention of those safety behaviors. Uh, habituation will simply not happen. And what we're going to do is to continue to find um, that the anxiety remains uh, at, a, at an increased level and that the discomfort and distress remains stable uh, and, and, and we don't begin to feel better. Uh, so the only way for that to happen is for us to continue on with what we call the exposure, uh, to, to go back into the analogy of the, uh, of the swimming pool in May, to stay in the water and to not get out, uh, to not uh, remove parts of our body. Uh, we go into the shallow water. No, no, no. We stay in the water, fully in the water, and we don't in engage in any sort of behavior that would take us out of the water. That's the way that we're going to habituate most meaningfully uh, to that water. And the same thing applies with the anxiety situation, uh, that the, the way that we're going to habituate most meaningfully and effectively is to identify and stop all of the safety behaviors or, again, compulsive patterns in which we're engaging to manage that level of anxiety that we're feeling. Uh, so that, that brings up an important question, and it's one that we've talked through before. What are the compulsive behaviors in which you engage? Uh, and, um, and I bring up the question more than once, that is to say, in more than one episode, because it's one of those things that people might say, hey, look, I, I stopped washing my hands, uh, or, or hey, I stopped uh, checking, uh, or, hey, I stopped avoiding. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've had this conversation with different individuals through the years. And, hey, I stopped this one thing, but I didn't habituate. My anxiety didn't go away. I don't think exposure therapy works, or at least not for me. And it's like, well, I think a much, much more likely explanation to that, again, having uh, done this stuff for a good while, is look, you're probably engaging a different compulsive uh, pattern or, or safety behavior that you're not necessarily thinking of or conceptualizing as a compulsion, right? So in other words, maybe you weren't avoiding anymore, but perhaps now, uh, you know, you were, you know, doing some other sort of, of compulsive behavior. Perhaps, you know, it was now it was washing your hands or perhaps you stopped washing your hands, but now you're avoiding touching something or, uh, you know, maybe you're not avoiding touching, but now you, you carry around hand sanitizer with you. Uh, or maybe you're not doing any of those, but you're sitting here in your mind, reassuring yourself, telling yourself, hey, it's OK, everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. 
as a way of managing your anxiety, right? So th- this concept of, of engaging behaviors to manage our levels of anxiety, uh, that is precisely uh, the, the very uh, strategy that tends to keep us symptomatic uh, in these anxiety-related disorders that we've been talking about. So really working to sort of keep your finger on the pulse, as it were, uh, or maybe to say it a different way, keep looking for the where's Waldo, um, uh, you know, Waldo in the picture. Keep looking and looking and trying to find um, any compulsive behaviors, uh, any uh, behaviors in which you're engaging to, uh, to manage your, uh, your intrusive worries, your intrusive thoughts, that is to say, and your corresponding anxiety, and simply allowing those to be uh, not experiencing those or, again, conceptualizing those as uh, as bad, right? But just allowing the thoughts to be, allowing the anxiety to be, and and kind of hanging in there with the exposure. And that very, very important ground rule of identifying and stopping all safety behaviors in that process. And over the course of 45 to 60 minutes, yep, your anxiety is going to fall. Uh, so, I mean, let's imagine if I were uh, terribly afraid of, of spiders, let's say, and, uh, and I walked into a room and, uh, and I found, uh, yep, there's a, there's a spider. In fact, there's two. And, and rather than uh, understandably walking back out of the room as a way of managing my anxiety, um, let's imagine what I did was I sat down on the floor and I, and I, I just sat there and maybe leaned up against the wall and relaxed my body and looked at the spider. And, and maybe the, the spider started little by little to, to walk or to crawl uh, toward me. And, uh, and what I'm not going to do is, is to get up and get to the other side of the room uh, or, um, or leave the room or um, tense my body, hold my breath, um, throw things at the spider. I'm not going to do any of those things as a way of trying to manage my level of anxiety. I'm simply going to accept my anxiety is elevated right now. And, uh, and that's what it is. But what I'm not going to do is engage those behaviors. So let's imagine, let's imagine I'm in that room or better, you're in that room and you can see the spider and, and it's black and it's fairly large and it's I don't know. It's a few feet away. Maybe it's, maybe it's five feet away and it's, and it's still, it's not moving. You're not moving. And you sit there for one full minute and you're anxious and you're really anxious. And you get into the second minute and a few seconds have gone by and you're getting through that second minute. And, and now you've been there for two full minutes. Unbelievably, you're forcing yourself to sit there. Remember, we talked in the last episode about the episode, I'm sorry, the, the, the symptoms you can control versus the symptoms you can't control. And here we are really focusing on the symptoms you can. And one of those symptoms might be to, to avoid, right? It might be to get up and leave the room, but you're, you're controlling that one. What you can't control is your level of anxiety. You can't control that. So we're not trying to, we're just allowing the anxiety to be, we're just allowing the thoughts to be whatever they are. Maybe they're images of the spider crawling on you, and that's really distressing. Or maybe they're thoughts of uh, the spider is going to bite me and, and poison me, and that's really distressing. Um, and at, but at the end of the day, the symptom that we can control is those, uh, those safety behaviors. 
So we're not getting up and we're not throwing things. We're not holding our breath. We're not reassuring ourselves. All those behaviors that we engage in. Nope. We're just allowing the anxiety to be. Now three minutes have gone by. Three minutes of just you and the spider just sitting there. And maybe the spider starts to walk around a little bit and your anxiety shoots up again. Um, and, but you, you don't get up, you know, you, you just, you force your body to, to stay there. No matter what you force it, you force it to stay there. Another minute goes by. Now it's been four minutes, four minutes of just you and the spider. And maybe there's a, like we said, another spider in the room and who knows where that spider is, but this one's only about five feet away, but you haven't moved and the spider not really moving much either. Four minutes. Now five minutes. Five minutes of just you and the spider. I wonder where your anxiety is. If you had to put a number on it between zero and a hundred, maybe it's at an 80. Maybe it's, maybe it's at an 85. Maybe it's not quite that high. I don't know, but we'll just kind of keep a, a mental note. Let's say it's at an 80 and you're really, you're close to, you're close to a, a level of panic. You're not there, but it's, it's really intense anxiety, but you're forcing yourself to sit there and five minutes turns into seven minutes and seven minutes over the long time turns into 10 minutes. And it's just you and the spider. You're not, you're not gripping the carpet. You're not kicking your feet. You're not screaming at the spider. You're just, you're just sitting in place, keeping your body still, not moving around the room, not leaving the room. And 10 minutes turns into 15. And 15 turns into 20 minutes. And you're not engaging any of these behaviors. Let's imagine, what if that were to happen? What if you were to stop the safety behaviors, stop the compulsive patterns? Now, I'm talking about a spider situation. Maybe your situation is different. Maybe it's really different. But oftentimes, scientifically, these, these principles apply and, and like I've said, whether we're talking about, you know, a, a panic disorder or if we're talking about OCD or if we're talking about, you know, something like a, a trauma reaction of PTSD or, or something other, as long as we're talking about an anxiety related disorder or clinically significant anxiety, you're going to see these same patterns happening, uh, the same sorts of principles going on. And so imagine if you weren't, if you weren't to engage these safety behaviors, but you were to sit in that anxiety-related situation, anxiety-producing situation for, for 15 minutes, for 20 minutes, for 25 minutes, really working to stop the behaviors and to keep them stopped as best as you can, as consistently as possible. 25 minutes turns into 30 minutes. Just sit, just you and the spider, just sitting there. I wonder what's beginning to happen to your anxiety. Now, a lot of us are going to say, yeah, exposure therapy doesn't work for me. The challenge that you're going to face is that you're not just talking about one compulsive pattern. You're talking about two. You're talking about five different compulsive patterns. I don't know how many we're talking about in your case. The problem is you probably don't either right? We have to really, really work at identifying those behaviors in real time and stopping them. So often, this is a, like a game of whack-a-mole where we stop one, but another one pops up. 
or we stop those two, but there's this other one lurking in the corner that we so far to this point haven't identified as a compulsion. But guess what? It's feeding the system just the same. You think you've got all the lines cut, but you don't. So you have to identify correctly all the behaviors that are actually fitting that kind of criteria of being safety behaviors. So if they're related, if they're behaviors that are sort of related to um, regulating the anxiety level and getting rid of these intrusive thoughts, they're probably, they're probably compulsive patterns. So we'll work to stop them all. And what do we have to lose by stopping behaviors that it turns out in the end weren't safety behaviors anyway? What do we have to lose? But on the other hand, what do we have to lose by not stopping safety behaviors that turn out, I should say, behaviors that turn out to be safety behaviors? They turn out to be compulsions. Well, what we have to lose is our symptoms are going to continue on with equal severity for more time and to continue to take your life from you. So what do we have to lose? Well, it's better to go ahead and to stop any behavior that feels like it could be compulsive than to maybe roll the dice. You see what I'm meaning to say. So 30 minutes turns into 35 and 35 turns into 40. And our goal is to get to 45 minutes. We don't want to do much less than 45 minutes and we don't want to do much more than 60. That's really what the research coming out of the University of Pennsylvania is showing us is going to be the most effective window for achieving that habituation process with regard to reducing anxiety. So hanging in there with the exposure, but also stopping all the safety behaviors in the process. One plus one is going to equal habituation nearly every time. So if we're, if we're missing one of those two, we're probably not going to habituate. And so maybe in the past you've said, hey, exposure therapy doesn't work. But my guess is you have allowed one of those two very important elements to fall by the wayside. Maybe it's because you received advice in that direction, or maybe it's just because your anxiety got the better of you. But if we're, if we're working to engage that exposure in a meaningful way for 45 to 60 minutes, and we're really working to identify and stop all of these safety behaviors consistently, forcibly stop them, yep, one plus one, it's usually two. You follow what I'm saying? Well, be encouraged. Uh, thanks very, very much for tuning in uh, once again uh, to OCD Straight Talk. Uh, appreciate you listening. Uh, feel free to reach out with any questions that you might have. Uh, as before, I gave you my email address, uh, chrislines04 at gmail.com. Uh, that's C-H-R-I-S-L-E-I-N-S-04 at gmail.com. And I'll look forward to hearing from you. I'll do my best to respond to you directly or simply to fit your question into the next podcast. Again, thanks very much for listening because this is OCD Straight Talk.